Okay. All right. Aren't you guys excited about that? Yeah. that amazing. Uh, my notes are a little beat up from carrying them the last few weeks, but it's going to be, as he said, so good. And I want to say, too, about next week, um, Bethel birthday is a big deal for us. You know, one of our core values is that we have fun, right? It's a big deal to have fun in the presence of God and with the other believers, fellow believers. So we have a lot of fun stuff uh, in store for you. We actually have a, a gift for everybody. And then we've been in the process the last month developing a new kids, kids welcome gift that's super fun. And so all of our Bethel kids are going to get that gift so that nobody's left out uh, next week. So that'll be awesome too. You want to have your kids here. Um, okay. You guys ready to wrap up Romans 8? No? Okay, wow. Well, we're going to run out of verses after today, so we'll have to wrap it up. But um, So if you know, the last couple of Sundays, we've been doing a deep dive into Romans chapter 8, and I have actually really enjoyed really slowing down as we read scripture. I think sometimes we take one scripture at a time, and it's great and it's powerful, but there's something really profound to kind of just go with the flow of everything that's coming out of it. Um, I, I was looking into Romans this week, just refreshing myself on some stuff about it. And you know, Paul was wanting to go to Rome to minister to the church there, and God told him no. And so instead of going, he wrote a letter with everything he wanted to impart to them, which became the book of Romans. So it's pretty cool to think that out of a no, right, out of God saying no to something, we are being blessed thousands of years later. I mean, can you imagine if he had been able to go and all this incredible literature probably wouldn't have been written in this way. So um, thanking the Lord for the no's in our life this week, especially for all of you guys that have kids in school and it's a lot different than you think it should be, right? There's there's some good stuff that can come from those no's. Okay, so what I want to do is back up to verse 28. We're going to have it on the screen, but I'm really sorry for all of you who probably can't see it. So pull it up on your phone. Uh, we're looking at the Passion Translation this morning, and I want to back up to verse 28, which is the last part of what we talked about last week. And here we go. We're just going to read it and pause and talk as we go. It says, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who've been called to fulfill his, de his designed purposes. So when we look at this concept, this is a, a concept we're familiar with, right? That, that God works all things together for good. How many of you guys have heard that? Or better yet, how many of you have said that to someone else? It's all going to be good, right? It'll all be worked out for good. There's an interesting addendum to this verse that we have a tendency to leave out, right? Which means, for those that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, God does not take the responsibility of weaving everything to your good unless you are in him. Not to say that he doesn't care, or that, but he, he's so good that the second you say yes to Jesus, the second you give your life to him, he already has a plan of how he's going to work it for good, right? But we have to be mindful of two things in this. Number one, the way we view the world, God is not trying to make every bad situation good for those that are not in Christ Jesus. But in the same way, if you are in Christ Jesus, then you can know that everything in your life that's challenging, God has a purpose of how to use it. It doesn't mean that he's delighting in it. It doesn't mean that he's happy about this situation. It doesn't mean that God is like, oh, good, her life is terrible right now. Yes. It's not like that, right? It's just that he's so good. He's so smart. He's so intuitive that he just knows instinctively how to fix every situation. 
One of the things I love about the Lord is that when we have difficulty in our lives, okay, so I know if I had you guys, you don't have to. If I had you raise your hand, probably every single one of us would say, yeah, I've been treated unfairly. I was doing a, a personality, I was doing some training on a personality test, and the, the test that is, that I come out as, it was saying, you know, this particular type of person just really believes that life is, that they, their life is unusually unfair. It's like everybody else, yeah, okay, but you don't understand how hard it's been for me. And I literally read this, and I laughed out loud, and I said, but you don't know. <laughs> you don't know how hard it's been for me. And I was like, darn it, it's me, it's describing me. But the thing is that we all have these, these challenges, right? We all have these issues. And so when we learn to do what we did in ministry time this morning, to do what we do in our time with God, and sit ourselves with him, and begin to look at our challenges, then we're actually elevated into a deeper place. Because when you get to minister to someone, because in, in only the way that you can because of what you've been through, oh, has anybody ever had that experience? If you've ever been abused and you get to bring life into somebody that, that has been abused, if you've ever had a, a betrayal happen and you get to minister to somebody, there's hope on the other side of it. It's like all of a sudden we get to live out this verse 28, that God is working things for our good. So if you're in the middle of something and it's not good and you're in Christ Jesus, take heart. He will bring it about into something good. All right, verse 29. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share in the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he calls us to himself. Sorry, I'm blazing through this. We're on verse 30. He calls us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. Now, what I want to say about this is, is when we do, did that exercise, uh, you, can be, you can be bold about this. Did anybody feel really uncomfortable picturing themselves seated with Jesus? Was anybody just like, that was a lot. That was too much for me. And I, I actually agree with that. It's a lot. And the thing is that as believers, even as believers in 2020, with all these churches and resources and podcasts and worship at our fingertips, we're still hearing this subtle message that we suck. Is that too, too crass for everybody? Sorry. But we're still hearing this message that you're not quite good enough. We're still hearing this thing that, that's like, you're close, but no cigar, right? Like you can get into the throne room, you can be on your face, but no, 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 no. You, Jesus would never put you up there with him. And as long as we believe that, we're not, hear me when I say this, we're not actually able to step into the fullness of our identity. So I, I have this conversation with the Lord a lot. So God, these scriptures are, they're pretty audacious. <laughs> and as a pastor, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm an empathetic person. I, I, a lot of you guys know my story. I've really struggled with, I'm a, I'm a skeptic by nature is a better way to say that. And so it's hard for me to stand up here and say to you, this is the truth. This is what God did. And there's a, a thing in my flesh that wants to sort of like rationalize it for you. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Like, oh, let me make this palatable because I know some of us might not get this. And the Lord basically, I was having this conversation with him and he goes, you know, it's not on you to defend why I do what I do. I was like, well, thank God for that, right? Or thank you for that. And, uh, and that's the truth. I don't have to stand up here and say to you, here's why God did this. What I can say is, this is what it says. This is what it says. One preacher says it like this. If you're not preaching the grace of God in a way that's offending everybody in the room, you're not actually preaching the real grace of God. When I heard that, 
the first time, I didn't stop thinking about it for about three weeks. Like it just ran on repeat in my mind. Wait, what? Right? But because the grace of God is so audacious. So as I'm processing this, I'm saying, Lord, I don't want anybody, this this is what it's like as a pastor. I don't want anybody to take this and then like in in arrogance or pride kind of use it as an excuse to feel good about themselves, right? Like, well, I'm seated with God in heavenly places, you know? So, so, (laughs) right? And I was thinking about that. and, And then the Holy Spirit, in this conversation with him, the Holy Spirit says to me, well, Rachel, pride, the whole perspective of arrogance and pride is that in yourself, you believe you could. Right? That's what pride is. So in yourself, you believe that you have the power to, um, to make that happen. And we all know no one has the power to sit on God's throne. Amen. So there is actually, in the true grace of God, in the real picture of what he's doing when he co-glorifies himself and all that, there actually is no way to be arrogant about that. Think about it. Because you cannot do that for yourself. It's only because God invites you into that place. And the reason why I bring that up is because I want us to healthily pursue a correct vision of our identity. Right? I want us to healthily, I want us in health, in strength, in appropriateness, be able to stand and say, this is who God made me to be. And we don't use that revelation to control other people. We don't use that revelation to advance ourselves on be, you know, at the expense of someone else. We use that revelation to enjoy him. Amen? So I want to challenge you. Keep going. If this is new to you, if this concept is new to you, don't stop until it becomes your frame of thinking because that's what Jesus wants from your life. All right. Where are we at? Verse 31. <clears throat> now we're getting into the new stuff. Okay, so what does this all mean? Don't you love that? So let's sum up the last three, four weeks of teaching this. What does it all mean? If God has determined to stand with us, then tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. So as we've been doing, I want this to be interactive. So I want you guys to just think for a minute. Have you ever recently felt like God was withholding something from you? You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about it. I want you to identify it. For some of us, it's like, I feel like, Lord, you're withholding your kindness towards me. Just feel like I'm just being ground into powder, you know? And he does that sometimes. <laughs> There's a place for that. For some of us, we feel like he's withholding his provision. For some of us, maybe we feel like he's withholding his presence. Like, I'm here, I'm worshiping you, but I can't feel you. For some of us, it's that he's, he, we feel like he's withholding his voice. And so what we have to understand, if we're going to be in alignment with the word of God, is this right here. He certainly won't withhold anything else he has to give. So in other words, if I have... All the money in the world. I'm Jeff Bezos. (laughs) Because, I mean, we could all be exorbitantly wealthy if we split. You know what I mean? It's crazy the amount of wealth he has. So if I'm Jeff Bezos, and and I've already given you over 50% of my income, why wouldn't I give you whatever else you need? If I love you that much to give you this huge sacrifice to me. Do you guys understand this? This is what God is saying. Listen, I already picked the top of the list, the thing that would be the hardest for me to do. So if I've already done that, why would I not do the stuff that's not hard for me to do? I want to illustrate this point with this. This is, oh no, it's got to be straight. Time out. I was about to say it was the most beautiful line and then my pride got in the way. 
just pretend. Grant makes fun of me. He thinks one of my legs is shorter than the other because oh, all, my, all my signs in my house can be crooked. And he's like, you know, you, you tend to stand like that, and then that's how you see. And then, so he's bought me, I think, three levels in our life. It's great. Marriage is awesome. So um, <laughs> just teasing. Uh, so this is God, okay? This is God. Wow. It's, it's, it's not string theory. It's not quantum stuff. I'm not getting into the big stuff for you. This is God being available to you. You'll notice if I had been able to continue that in one straight line, there's nothing breaking in that line, okay? So this is, this is what this scripture in verse uh, 32 is saying. He's already done the biggest thing he can do, okay? So this is his love. It's constantly turned to you 100%. His presence, it's constantly available to you 100%. His voice, his provision. Let's keep going down the list of all the things we could think about that we might feel at times that God is withholding from us, okay? Now, this is us, not the TV show. Let's be black. This is us. That's when we die, okay? (laughs) So this is us, okay? So we go in and out of awareness of God's provision for us. So in other words, the Bible is telling us, and who God is, is saying to you, I have not changed. So when we begin to feel that God is withholding something, what has happened? We've dipped. So uh, in my first year of marriage, I, I spent some time with the counselor that was on staff at our church, and I was asking her, I said, you know, it's this really interesting thing in my marriage where we were best friends for two years before we started dating, and so it would be like there were days where it felt like I'm the lead of a Hallmark show, and, you know, the snow starts falling at the perfect time, and it's like all lovey-dovey, and then if you've been married for like a minute, you know what this feels like, and then the next moment, you're like, ah, oh, you know, we're best friends. And I would go in and out of this, like, oh, I love you. Like, I'm riding on a horse to you, and my hair is blowing in the wind. And then I'd be like, oh, oh, you got home? Oh, cool. You know, like, I would go in and out of this. And I thought something was wrong because I didn't know much about marriage. And so I, I was trying to figure out how do I maintain the white horse, snow-falling hallmark thing. And so I'm talking to this counselor, and she goes, here's the thing, Rachel. The human being is not capable of maintaining 100% intimacy in any area of your life. 100% vulnerability, it's not possible. The human being, because of sin or whatever reason, we actually cannot do that. And so what she said, if, if we're using this picture, she drew this line like this, and then she drew another line like this. And she said the goal is not two solid lines laying on top of each other. The goal is that when you begin to drift, you recognize what to do and pull yourself back together. And what happens in marriage a lot, and this is a side note I know, but what happens in marriage is when we begin to drift, then we get offended, then we start to blame, then we might say something rude, and now all of a sudden, instead of being on a curve, we're just down here. (laughs) And it's real hard to turn this ship back around, right? It's like Titanic style. And so what she said was the best thing you can do for your marriage is when you begin to notice that there's distance, I like to call it to myself like roommate mode. When I notice roommate mode is clicking in and we're just like buddies, then I, I can change that by initiating something that draws us back together. Something we like to do, go out to dinner, sit on the porch, whatever it is. It's like we, we push ourselves to go back. It's kind of like the Apollo movies, you know? when they're stuck out there, and they only have a little bit of fuel left, and they figure out if they can get in the gravitational pull, it'll flick them around the moon, am I dating myself? No? You guys know what I'm talking about? That's, thank you, some of the, some of the smarter people in the room are like, yeah, this is my bread and butter, you know, the physics stuff. 
Um, this is what it's like in our relationships, that we recognize, okay, I gotta whip myself around the moon so I can come back to a point of closeness, okay? So with God, this is what it's like. God is unchanging. He is not moving. So if we are the ones that's moving away from him, we are the ones that can move closer to him. How do we do that? It starts with what we believe. It starts with how we see ourselves. It starts with how we align ourselves with scripture. So in the same way that when I'm in roommate mode, I might fake it for a minute. I might like pretend like I'm, you know, really wanting to have a deeper conversation when I just would rather watch TV or whatever the situation may be, right? I force myself to get in the right direction so that life will take me there. In the same way, we can do that with God. I'm not saying be a hypocrite. I'm not saying put on some sort of false identity. I'm saying we believe that this is what God said. So we believe God is not withholding something from me. My circumstance is screaming at me that, God is, it's, that this is God's fault. But when I begin to align myself, then I go, well, maybe I'm on a downswing. Maybe I'm, you guys tracking with me? And so then we pull ourselves closer to him. This is good. It's a good place to give an amen. Teasing you guys. Okay, where are we at? Verse 33. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them, not guilty. So this is where this diagram gets really interesting. In our, in our downswings, where we want to uh, agree with condemnation, I mean, we all do this. We want to agree with the feelings of, of worthlessness, the feelings of failure, that we're a screw-up, that, that, you know, okay, so maybe now if you're, I hope this isn't true, but if you're watching this and you're thinking, okay, so then it's entirely my fault and I just suck. Okay, so that's my life with God now, okay? So when we're in that spot, what this scripture is saying is, who is daring to accuse us? Well, it's not God. So when we're on a downswing and we're hearing these voices, again, we come in line with scripture and we say, okay, wait a second. God is actually saying, I'm not, it's not my fault. Yes, there are things you can do. We can take, right, right. I'm not saying you're, you know, free of all ownership. But what he's saying is, I didn't cast you away from me because I found something flawed in you. Amen. So then who is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. Whew, so good. So how could he possibly condemn us since he's continually praying for our triumph? This is a really good, for those of you guys in the room that are logic first, you like to think first, not feel. Memorize this scripture. <laughs> This is so, so good. It makes no sense if God is constantly praying for you. He's wasting, I mean, he's not wasting. Wow, should not have said that. Rare race. He is investing. He's investing so much energy into your triumph. He's praying. He's interceding ever before the throne of God, what the Bible says. We know, we talked about this last week, the Holy Spirit is constantly groaning over your journey, right? He's, he's, he's with you. He's praying. There's so much being invested in you from heaven. So much. And when we understand that, then it makes no logical sense that Jesus would actually stand against us. Think about it. And maybe I should have said, if you're not a logical person, memorize this one, because uh, it works for both of us. 
Okay, uh, verse 35. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. Turn to your neighbor and say, absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. I'm going to read this again. I want you to say this with me. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love for us. You guys ready? All right. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. And then Paul does what Greco-Romans do at that time. This is a very normal thing in literature. They make lists. They like to make lists. They want to be thorough. Okay. So he makes a list. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and, God, uh, and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No. For they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. So it would be like this. Let me erase this beautiful diagram for you. So this is what Paul is effectively doing. And it's really the Holy Spirit. I want you to to know that. It's not just Paul. It's really the Holy Spirit trying to show you this. Okay, so you want to see what's in the... I'm I'm being the Holy Spirit right now, right? He's New Jersey style today. So he's like, all right, so... uh, (laughs) so embarrassing. Um, that's what Grant was thinking, because I can hear his thoughts. Uh, so, the, so the Holy Spirit's going, okay, so you're still not convinced? Let's list it out. Just tell, and you don't have to do this, but you know, the Holy Spirit's like, just tell me, what are the things you think could keep you back from me? And he makes a list. Is it this? 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 And you can go through all the different translations. They talk about these words in a slightly different way. So we could fill this whole board with reasonable, logical reasons why God might not like this right? Things that could keep us from God. So he goes, let's list them out. Let me prove to you unequivocally, there is literally nothing standing between you and God. And I don't know about you. I argue with myself a lot. It's an unfortunate quality of my personality. And I need this kind of stuff sometimes. Sometimes I have to literally list out, here's every reason, God, why I think that you're failing me. Here's every reason why I think I'm failing you, why you picked the wrong person for this calling, why, you know, we go through all the, list all of it out, and then go through each one and justify it to the word of God. That's what is happening here. That's what the Holy Spirit is showing us. So he goes, troubles? What's going on in your life right now? What's troubling you? Well, it's not powerful enough. We would actually disagree with that as Americans, right? We would. We would go, well... Our country has the potential to go to hell inside of a handbasket with a nice napkin over it in a few weeks when the election happens, and we're troubled. And we suddenly think that God is going to withdraw from all of his people in America if a certain person wins or loses the election. And so our troubles actually get exalted against the ability for God to impact you. I hope America goes to heaven in a handbasket. That's my prayer, right? But in the event that that doesn't happen, I will still do the same things I'm doing today. Amen? You will still do the same things you're doing today. We will still be passionate, on fire believers in Jesus bringing revival to our city. Nothing is going to change based on the government. I mean, okay. I get it. I hear your thoughts. I get it. But when we look at our troubles, if we look at our finances, woo, finances, right? Lord, I can't do this because I don't have this. I love Brandon's testimony from this morning. Now, it doesn't always work like that. There's not always checks in the mail. Lord, we're wanting more checks in the mail, but it's not always like that. But even in that place, 
okay, is my trouble truly strong enough to keep me back from God? Are you tracking with me? I'm not going to go through each one, but this is what you do. If this concept is a struggle for you, I give you permission. I commission you to wage war on the analytical thought process that's trying to teach you something false about God. We have to own our minds. Amen? We have to get into the driver's seat. I was talking with my son, my my eight-year-old, the other day about... And he, he was like, he kept having this bad image in his mind, and he was like, I keep asking Jesus into my heart, and he's not doing anything about it. And I was telling him, I was praying about it, and I said, listen, I think God is trying to show you that he is in you, and together you have the power to deal with this. And I told him, and I love this analogy, I just feel like it was a God-breathed analogy. I said, if you're sitting in the passenger seat of a car, and no one is in the driver's seat, and someone scary comes up, and they're banging on the car, and they're trying to get in, you're not very, you're not going to be quick to get away, because you have to overcome the shock, get into the driver's seat, turn the car on, drive away, right? It's very hard. If you're already in the driver's seat, when the scary person comes to the car, you do as what he suggested, and you run them over. It's an eight-year-old opinion. But you guys know what I'm saying? This is how we have to be with every single thought that tells us we're unworthy of God's love because we are unworthy of his love, but that's already settled. We've already established that. We need the cross. We need salvation. So once we've got that, then we move into, yeah, yeah, I know I'm unworthy. Now I'm actually choosing to live in the revelation of who he is. Amen? Take a breath. Let that sink in. So troubles, pressures, peer pressures, trying to open your mouth on Facebook, that wouldn't be included in that. Problems, all of it's unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions? What about deprivations? Deprivations would be also included in the category of feeling like God is withholding something from us, right? Uh, I, I was wrecked by this thought, and I may have said this to you guys recently, but um, we were having a conversation with someone, and he said, um, You know, a lot of times, pastors and missionaries, they'll say, if God would just do this thing, then revival would come. If God, and I know we all do this, we'll go, if God would just fix my husband, my marriage would be so great. (laughs) Don't pray that, can I just tell you? Uh, It doesn't work, because what God likes to do is fix you instead. Can I get an amen from from everybody in the room? I mean, one night I was like, Lord, if you, this was like, I don't know, eight years ago. I'm like, if you would only change this about him. And God goes, why don't we talk about you? And I was like, I take it back. I I, I repent. He's great. (laughs) I don't want you to change me. But it was good. It worked out. Um, (laughs) The things that we feel like that we're lacking in. It, 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 can't, it just it doesn't have the power. It feels like it does, but it doesn't. Dangers, even death threats. This is no. For they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. In other words, there's no power in them. There's no, there's no power to actually have this thought be exalted against the truth of who God is. Uh, even though it's written, verse 36, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. This is where I love this part. It says, yet even in the midst of all these things, so in other words, the Holy Spirit's telling you, all these things I just drudged up, all your issues, you're welcome, right? We just thought about everything that's going wrong in our life. Even in the midst of these things, we triumph over them all. I want you to hear this. I don't believe this is just Paul saying we. I actually believe this is the Holy Spirit saying, you and I, we triumph over every single thing. 
I, I love that perspective of the Holy Spirit saying, you're actually never alone in this. All the things that bother you, they bother me too. And so together, we're going to be triumph. And then he says, and, and we talked about this earlier, for God has made us to be more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Imagine having the ability to vanquish every difficulty in your life and then more of it. Like, it's, it's, it's just, it's amplified. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. Thank you, God. And then this is where he wraps it up. So now, okay, so we're summing up the entire chapter. Actually, really all eight chapters of this. But he's summing it up. So now, now that I know all these things, now that I'm aligned in this, I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. So, uh, oh, I could keep rehashing this, but you guys get it. All right. He goes into another list. They love the list, those Greco-Romans. Nothing in the universe has the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So there was an interesting belief in the Romans at this time that the stars, it was sort of like an apocalyptic uh, like zombie culture kind of belief that they had that the stars had the power to wipe them out. Think like an asteroid wiping out the earth. And so some people believe that when, when they're writing and saying the heavens above, like above or beneath, that they're talking about these cosmic natural events that have the power. And I, I think this is a really interesting perspective because I could probably convince you and hopefully did today through the word that all of our actual life situations aren't powerful enough to keep us from God's love. But what about the things we can't control? What about the natural disasters? What about the imminent rapture? What about all these other things, right? And even in that, we rest in the place that we are united with Christ. So I, I actually, I, I probably will do some sort of summation of Revelation sometime soon because the stuff I'm learning in this class that I'm doing is literally blowing my mind in so many ways. I've never liked the book of Revelation because a lot of the stuff I'd heard about it, if it's got fear riding all over it, it's not actually the Holy Spirit, right? Because God does not instill fear in his people. So that's not to say that God didn't say it and we have a fearful reaction. That's possible. But when God is, when you're hearing something and all you can sense is fear and the need to do self-preservation, then you're missing God, right? So my perspective on Revelation had been that, so I had just said, you know, for another time. And in the last couple of years, I kind of dealt with that, but I wanted to do a deep dive doing this study. And one of the things that I've been so challenged by is to keep myself in line with the idea, the concept, the truth, that if I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, I will be seated there no matter what is to come, okay? So the, the book industry, and there's a lot of them. You can make a lot. I mean, if you guys need financial help, write a book. Pick a date. Put some scripture in there that you feel like is a feasible reason why the world might end on that day, and you'll probably make millions of dollars. Am I right? Now, you might be dishonest, but you'll probably make some money. It happens. Like, every 10 years, somebody puts out a book. There was one in 1984. There was one, you know, it's crazy. It's, it's a very lucrative business, this end time stuff. But, um, but when you're thinking about it, it doesn't even really matter exactly what's going to happen. It matters where you are positioned as it happens. Does this make sense? 
So again, even the end of the world, even the election not going in your favor, because at this point in America, flip a coin, half the nation is going to be in sackcloths and ashes on November 4th, you know? And so it's, it's going to be interesting. But regardless of all of that, if you can stand knowing you're seated with Christ and you are with him and he is with you and nothing can separate, can you see how that affects our worldview in a positive way? I, I love it. I think that, you know, the one thing that's missing from this category, at least in this particular translation, is the issue of sin. And so I wanted to talk about this as we kind <clears> of <throat> move towards wrapping this up. So is sin powerful enough to separate us from the love of God? Because we're looking at, you know, larger categories, troubles, persecutions, all these big things. And it doesn't explicitly say sin. And I, I grew up... Uh, I wasn't, my church didn't necessarily believe this, but the, the message I received was that my role as a believer was to be very sin conscious. Have you guys known about this? Are we sin conscious or are we grace conscious, okay? And so when we're sin conscious, what we do is we agonize over everything we do wrong. Whoop, that person cut me off, cuss word slipped out, I need to fast for three days so I can come back in alignment with God. <laughs> Y'all know, you're snickering at each other because you've done it. Um, pull my mind back. I could give you a sermonette on road rage, but I won't do that. <laughs> Drive with the Holy Spirit. It's so much better. So anyways, um, so we, we, when we're sin conscious, what we do is we, we have this picture that all God sees of us is our failures, that when, when we're sin conscious, we, our belief system, whether we're aware of it or not, is that the Holy Spirit is counting every wrong. This is what the spirit of religion wants you to believe. That your sins are the most important thing about you. I didn't say they're not important. I'm just saying that religion and legalism wants you to believe it's the most important thing about you. When we become grace, grace conscious people, what we do is we begin to recognize my sin is actually not causing God to withdraw from me. The sin itself is creating a block. So if we go back to the diagram, okay, we go back to our, this is God, he's ever present, and we're this. I guess this would be someone who walked away and then died and got saved, I'm not sure. So, um, <laughs> but when we're sin conscious, we believe we're amazing right here. I'm amazing. Put me on the leadership team. I'm a small group leader. Everybody should come. I I'm sharing the gospel. When we're down here, don't talk to me. I'm a hidden Christian. I'm fatally flawed. I'm wearing my scarlet letter, right? Because our perception of who we are, our worth, is so tied to our behavior. But we know from the Bible, and I hope if you've been listening to us for any length of time, you know that's not accurate. When we're grace conscious, our awareness of God is literally the same at every point of our journey back and forth. And so when we're grace conscious, God is constant here. And then when we go down here, we kind of quickly get back into his presence. And I think the more grace conscious we are, we actually begin to live like that. Our downward swings are so much smaller, they take less time because we get ourselves back in line with the way of God right away. We recognize that as I'm doing something wrong, the Holy Spirit is present there with me to help me overcome. Does this make sense? But we only get that when we're not focused on our deprivation as a person. So is sin powerful enough to keep us from the love of God? I think this is an honest question we all have to deal with in ourselves. Do you personally believe your sin 
is a stumbling block to the Lord's presence in your life. So I, I have had people ask me at different times, they'll say, you know, they want to talk to a pastor about this, and they'll say, I, I, have, I have sin in my life, and I know that's why God has distanced himself from me. It's like he's not proud of the way I'm living, therefore he's removed himself. And there are some Old Testament scriptures that support that. But in the New Covenant, the blood of Jesus has dealt with that, right? God was a little bit moody towards his people in the Old Covenant. He was annoyed, not because he didn't love people, although sometimes some of the scriptures might suggest that, but really because he couldn't figure, he couldn't, like the issue of sin was just constantly a stumbling block. It was like a thorn in God's side. Like, oh, I wish you could be with me, but you can't because of all this. Now that the blood of Jesus has dealt with that, that thing that frustrated God doesn't exist anymore. He has poured out his wrath towards it. So now the issue of sin is because of the way it affects your life, not the way it affects your relationship with God. Amen? So I'll just say it one more time, you know. So is sin included in this list of things? Yeah, because even sin cannot keep the love of God from you. And I want to really challenge you guys today. And I wasn't going to say this, but I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying it to you. If, you are, if you're dealing with a habitual issue in your life, a habitual sin, so it doesn't matter what it is, it's something you know is wrong and you just keep doing it. The, the way to get breakthrough from that is to begin to invite the Holy Spirit into the journey with you. So now you're not trying to clean yourself up so that you can be with God. Now you're with God and together you're getting in the driver's seat of your car and moving away. You're using, you're, you're teaming with God with the power of Christ that raised Jesus from the dead, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead to move yourself away. Are you guys tracking with me? It doesn't matter. It could be overspending, overeating, overindulging. It could be drugs, alcohol. It doesn't matter what it is. When you partner with the Holy Spirit, you now have the upper hand on the issue. As long as you're trying to do it to get God's attention, good or bad, it's not going to work. Amen? All right. Here's how I want us to conclude this section of um, Romans 8. Uh, we're going to do communion. And uh, I know that for some of you guys, you might be like, germs, no, it's fine. You can do communion at a later time. Um, but I, I want to challenge you guys. Everybody do communion at some point in the next week if you're not going to do it today. Uh, there are little cups back there, Grant. Uh huh. behind the sound booth. Um, so we're going to turn on some music in just a minute. But here's the way I want us to do communion. The, the word of the Lord through this whole chapter is about the connectedness to him. Amen? The reason why we're talking about this, the reason why we've spent so many weeks on this particular verse, this particular chapter, is because if we begin to bring ourselves into a deeper relationship with our union with God, not only your life changes, the life of your children, the life of your siblings, everybody's life benefits. I, I really, truly believe we are on the cusp of a move of God. I think we're already seeing it. I should say it like that. We're already seeing it. I know some of you guys are experiencing it, and it's really cool to watch sort of the first fruits of it. Um, we are actively, and we're going to talk more about this next week, but we're actively laser-focused, starting to make strategic plans on um, outwardly impacting the city around us to let them have the opportunity to come into revival life with God as well. This is a really, really exciting time. But what I know to be true is that when we don't have this revelation, we can't sustain with God. Because when something happens, and it will, we move away, and then we're in this downward cycle, and then it's so hard to come back to that place. Amen? So I, I want to invite you to do communion in a different way today, and I want you to do it like this, that you're 
reminding yourself of the covenant that God made of his constant love towards you. That as you take the elements today, and this is what's so cool, when Jesus lifted the bread at the Last Supper and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. What he was doing is, as you partake of this, we become one. It literally is going to work itself into, not just through your digestive tract, but into your very cells. The, the bread becomes a part of you as an unbelievable prophetic symbol of what Jesus has already done for you. Amen? And so when that happens, and then the next section is, is when you take the blood, and when he picked up that cup, it was the cup of his covenant. And what's so beautiful about that is the covenant that he's made for you today. And I know some of you guys are like, I got this, Rachel. I live out of this place. And I want to just ask you to re-up it. That, that in the coming days, it doesn't matter what comes against you. What you're doing today is making a declaration. No matter what comes against me, Lord, I'm going to stand with you because I know you're standing with me. Amen? So um, I think they're actively searching for some cups, so I'm going to go help them find them as Mama does in the house. You guys know, you know, where the kids are always looking and you're like, it was right there where I told you, but it's fine. Um, (laughs) So what I want you to do, just being very my true self with y'all, is I want us to take a moment and just be with God. Amen? And and you don't have to take communion right here. You can do it at home on, on your own sometime this week. Um, But I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. I want you to take a moment to just pray. Grant, why don't you just turn on some music and do the lights, and I'll go get some cups in a second. Um, So, Lord Jesus, wow, we just honor you. We are so, we are genuinely so unworthy of everything that you've done for us, and and yet we we boldly receive all the love you want to lavish onto us. I just say, Lord, give us everything you have to give. And I just pray over anybody here this morning who doesn't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior or, or you need to come back into alignment with him. I just invite you to, to take a second and invite the Lord into your heart. It's just a matter of, of acknowledging him as the Son of God and confessing your sin. And, and he will come and he'll begin to wash you. And for, for the rest of us that have done that before, Lord, this morning becomes a place of renewing our covenant with you. This morning becomes a place of sealing up our identity as ones who stay connected to you as you are staying connected to us. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray you begin to speak to each and every one of us. Put thoughts, scriptures, words, pictures in our hearts right now. And just take a minute to just be with the Lord, and then I'll let you know when it's ready to to partake of.